ninth home run. Segoy Shohei. Hello, deep dive listeners. This is Jason Jenkins, one of your new hosts here on the podcast team at the Japan Times. This week, we're talking baseball. More specifically, we're talking about Shohei Otani, the Japanese phenomenon that has dominated the headlines of baseball for some time now. Sports writers often dabble in hyperbole when describing athletes at the top of their game, but when it comes to Shohei Otani, the player they call Showtime, phrases like once in a generation and the best baseball player ever are not an exaggeration. Indeed, Otani is regularly compared to players from the 1920s, people like Bullet Rogan from the Negro Leagues and Babe Ruth, one of the most venerated players of all time. Why? Because almost no one in the past 100 years comes close to the same accomplishments. The 2022 season of Major League Baseball has just drawn to a close, and with Otani signing a new contract, we thought this was the right time to discuss what all the hype is about. To get to the heart of the Otani story, I spoke with two of my Japan Times colleagues, sports writer Jason Koskri and editor Dave Cortez. Let's get into it. Whenever anyone talks about Shohei Otani, the concept of a two way player invariably comes up. For those unfamiliar, a two way player is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of focusing on hitting or pitching, a two way player specializes in both. Jason Koskri covers baseball for the Japan Times, and I asked him to explain what makes a two way player so special in the first place. Basically, in baseball, you either pitch or you hit. You don't really do both. Even when you consider the National League used to have pitchers hitting, they weren't doing it very well. It was just sort of the thing they did because that's how baseball was created. And that was the rule that pitchers had to hit. And so they didn't really work on it. They weren't very good at it. So, what Otani's doing is absolutely different. Usually, pitchers would hit at the very bottom of the lineup where you put your worst hitter. Otani's hitting. Number three, number four, sometimes he bats leadoff, sometimes he bats second, where you put your best hitters, and then he's pitching, which is just pretty much unprecedented. Nobody's doing what he's doing in, in baseball today. Nobody was doing what he was doing in baseball 20 years ago or 30 years ago, 60 years ago. I mean, you have some guys in the Negro Leagues who were doing it. That was out of necessity. You have Babe Ruth, who is you know, basically. The Mount Rushmore of baseball to a lot of people, but Babe Ruth didn't do it as long as Otani is doing it, and he didn't do it as well as Otani is doing it. So that's why. Why have there been so few two way players? Why aren't there dozens more through history? Why do we have to dig back to Babe Ruth and the Negro Leagues? There's probably two reasons. The first reason is just that it's hard.、Hmm. I mean, I don't think, and I'm I'm not a professional athlete myself, but I don't think the average person really appreciates just how hard it is to be a, a batter in Major League Baseball to actually just hit a pitch, let alone hit a home run or hit a double, triple, whatever. And I don't think people appreciate exactly how hard it is to pitch. I mean, just look at people who do first pitches and all the results you get from that.、And、those are just amateur people coming off the street, throwing a ball, and it's harder than you think. And, That the, from the mound to the plate is farther than you think. 
And to, to be able to manipulate the ball and throw the ball hard, it's really, really hard. So you have to train really, really hard to do both of those both of those skills. And pitchers in America pitch once every five days. Pitchers in Japan pitch once a week. It's taxing, it's strenuous. And then you pile the other one on top of that. So it's just, it's so difficult to do it. The other one is just simply opportunity. Because I think it would be naive to say that Shohei Otani is the only player that could have done what he's doing. Because there have been just so many amazing athletes throughout Major League Baseball who probably, if they worked at it, could have pitched and hit if they were given the opportunity. But one, baseball is such a traditionalist sport that once the, I guess, the sort of separation of pitcher and hitter got there, it stayed. And then as you kept going along in time, you've got financial considerations where I don't want to risk my million dollar, $20 million pitcher, you know, batting, maybe getting hit by a pitch, maybe right. hurting himself on the base path, which Otani has done, hurt himself on the base path before, um, maybe getting injured. And because think, I mean, again, it's so taxing that usually starting pitchers are pitching once a week, once every five days. Right. They're not hitting in between that. So. Teams just didn't want to take that risk. And then it was also no one thought anybody could do it. It was interesting. You were talking about how uh, pitchers take the mound maybe once a week. But Shohei would be pitching once a week, but then he would also be batting and, and playing other positions. Is that right? Yeah, that's you know what he did in Japan. He'd take the day off before he hit, pitch the next day, take the day off after he pitched and get back to hitting and pretty much did that in his first couple of years in the States. And then um, former Angels manager, Joe Madden, basically took off the training wheels and said, the day before you pitch, you can hit. And the day after you pitch, you can hit. And so he ended up basically playing almost every day. And so the curiosity of what he's doing and how well he's doing it is really what has fueled the, the fervor around him, even among casual fans. How well is Otani doing it? As we put this episode together, I turned to Dave Cortez for insight. In addition to being on the news desk and editing this podcast, Dave's also a baseball fanatic. He breaks down Shohei Otani's achievements this way. So Shohei Otani is much more than just a two-way player. I mean, yeah, that's the remarkable thing about him, but it's really the level at which he's doing it. So I like to look at his 2021 season when it comes to hitting. That's the year he won the MVP. So he had 46 home runs, which was second among all the hitters. And he actually broke the Los Angeles Angels franchise for home runs for left-handed batters. There's a really intricate baseball stat called OPS+, Plus, which basically tells you, is a batter hitting the ball often and far? And Otani was fifth in that category, so he's top five in smashing baseballs a lot. And of course, he's doing this while pitching well. And his 2021 season was good, but it's actually the 2022 season where his pitching really jumped up a notch. So since we're recording a few days before the end of the season, Otani actually gets one more start, so take these stats in stride. But he pitched over 160 innings through 27 games, and he has a 2.35 earned run average with 15 wins. So in context, that means the Angels were able to count on him to pitch deep into games, secure wins, and opposing batters can barely get like two runs. Now, these feats have obviously netted him many awards. He's a two-time All-Star, an MVP, like I said, a Rookie of the Year, but of course he's starting to rack up the MLB records. Many of his records, for example, are ones that Babe Ruth doesn't have or no longer has. And so, again, it's not that he's a two-way player, it's that he's a fantastic two-way player. That's what matters. 
Beyond the statistics, Otani is an outlier in other ways. In addition to his athletic talent, he carries himself with a modest, almost egoless charm rarely seen in the elite levels of sports. Here's how Dave puts it. So one of the things that I love most about Otani is that he kind of carries himself like a kid having the best day of his life, you know, but then he's also extremely serious about what he's doing at the same time. You know, you see him smiling on the mound or in the batter's box. He's playing pranks in the dugout and then he's picking up trash on the field and apologizing for hitting batters with a pitch. I mean, I encourage anyone to go watch this really great GQ interview. It's called 10 Things Shohei Otani Can't Live Without. It's an interview series that they do, so he's not the only one. But, you know, they do famous athletes and, you know, other artists and professionals. And the interesting thing is, you know, many of them kind of flaunt like a watch or something expensive. But Otani is like the consummate professional. He's like, here is my pillow. It helps me sleep and get ready for the game. Here is my bat. It's my main tool for doing damage to baseballs. Here's my arm icing machine so I can recover better for pitching. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, it's cliche to say, but he clearly eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball. It's awesome. What Dave is getting at here is Otani's almost reverent approach to the game. He's very likable. He waves at young fans, jokes around with his teammates. But fans and teammates alike often talk about his commitment to baseball in near spiritual terms. While researching this piece, the phrase baseball monk came up more than once. Just one way some fans and sports writers use to express his devotion to baseball. Well, Tony, that's him. He just had a singular focus, which was baseball. And that's what he does. I mean, respect for the game. Some of that is cultural. If you go to a Japanese game, a pro game, some of the players, when they when they come out, you'll see them take a bow to the field. Right. Not everyone does that. Some of them will bow when they leave the field. They'll walk off, turn around, bow. Ichiro Suzuki was you know, pretty famous for how meticulous he was about caring for his bats because that was that was his instrument. That's what he did. And that was his tool. And he he really took care of them to like an extreme level. Mm. But um, some of that's just also tiny because not everybody in Japan does all that stuff. But he that's just him. Shohei Otani may be a superstar today, but like many famous athletes before him, he has humble beginnings. I asked Jason Koskri to share a few details about his background. He's from a, a town called Oshu in Iwate Prefecture. His dad was an industrial league player. He played for the company team. His mom was also a really good athlete. She played badminton. He played little league. I know his dad was worried that his pitches were kind of all over the place. Uh-huh. And his dad was, you know, worried about his command and those sort of things. And <laughs> right. then he matriculated to Hanamaki Higashi High School where he, I guess he had a growth spurt and he was just, you know, kind of a supreme athlete there. And he threw a hundred miles per hour and that really got a lot of people's attention mm-hmm. because you've got a high school kid doing this. That drew the attention of major league scouts, that drew the attention of MPB scouts. And he was, became a, a star high school player. And what were his moves after high school and maybe talk about how he got involved with uh, the Nippon Ham Fighters? Well, after high school, Otani had decided that he was going to the major leagues. That's what he was doing. That was his dream. That's where he was going. And he told 
everyone in Nippon Professional Baseball to not draft him because he was going to North America. And so um, what happened was during the draft, the fighters drafted him anyway because that's the kind of things the fighters do. It was really risky because unlike an MLB where you may get a compensatory pick when you can't sign a draft pick in Japan, you get nothing. So this actually happened to the fighters the year before. Tomoyuki Sugano, a really, really good pitcher, had come out. He was the nephew of the Yomiuri Giants manager, Tatsunori Hara. And it was sort of, I don't know if Sugano never actually came out and said it, but it was sort of an unofficial thing. Don't draft him because he's not going to sign and you're going to be left with nothing because he only wants to go to the Giants. When, of course, the fighters drafted him. And basically, unlike in the U.S., in Japan, the draft is basically a lottery. Teams can name the same player. And so the Giants and the fighters named Sugano. The fighters won the lottery. Sugano didn't sign and just sat out of baseball for a year, and the fighters had nothing to show for it. Wow. And so you come back the next year, and Otani says, don't draft me. And you know, that's the risk the fighters decided to take. And so they drafted him anyway. That's a big gamble. Would other teams have done that? Or I, I have the impression that the fighters or at least the management behind the fighters kind of have a unique take on baseball or managing. Is that a fair assessment? Would there other teams that would have done something like that? Um, no other team would have done it. I think we can say definitively because no other team did it. Right. Um, there, every, everyone had a chance to put their name in the hat for Otani and none of them did and so um basically that's kind of how the fighters are they're they're not if there's a box that all the other Japanese teams are in the fighters are out of it which is again why they drafted Otani and Sugano when it was a risk that other teams were not willing to take and they took it that's kind of the kind of team the fighters are and then they let him play two ways which yeah they're sort of forced into yeah that's that's one of the ways that the fighters are unique they're they're the only ones who drafted him when he said not to draft him but then uh offering two ways was you know unprecedented in a lot of ways it was it was the carrot they were dangling in front of him Hmm. because he had the leverage of saying well if you don't let me do this then i'm just going to go to north america and you get nothing By all accounts, the fighters' gamble paid off, big time. And by enticing Otani to become a two-way player in Japan before moving to the major leagues, the fighters set him on a career path that almost no one in a century has come close to. He rose to the top of the Japanese league, and once eligible to move to the MLB, the Los Angeles Angels came knocking. Was he a star from the get-go? Here's Dave with a breakdown. So once the Angels acquired Otani in 2018, the league was a buzz. Who's this new Japanese phenom? I mean, we've heard about him, but how's it going to go? Are the Angels going to deploy him in the same two-way method that the Nippon Ham fighters did? If it doesn't go well, are they going to force him to pick a side? And then he has a little bit of a slow spring training start, and the microscope's really on him, but, you know, we don't know who he is at that point. What kind of player do we have And then he goes out and has his first start of the season against the Oakland A's, pitches six solid innings, and everybody was kind of like, okay, I think he's got the goods. He goes on to smack 22 home runs that season and win Rookie of the Year. And then something even more interesting happens. He gets kind of what some people think could be the kiss of death in baseball, which is called Tommy John surgery. This happens in the middle of 2019, shuts his season down, and he is forced into a rehab period while his elbow recovers. But it's almost like a blessing that the truncated 2020 pandemic season happened 
I mean, one could argue that it gave him time to recover because by the time 2021 comes around, baseball's back full time. He is like on top of his game. This is when you start seeing GQ interviews and an MVP season, and he even becomes the cover athlete for the wildly popular MLB The Show video game. I mean, imagine little kids holding that video game cover or getting to be Shohei Otani and hit home runs. And I mean, his legend only deepens from there. So here we are, and he is what he's hyped up to be. It's real. Now that we've covered Shohei Otani's ascent to the top of baseball, let's talk about where he is today. At the time of recording, the season is just about to conclude. Here's Dave again to break down the biggest storylines surrounding the man they call Showtime. When Otani won the American League MVP award last year, it basically started a bit of a debate in baseball. And, you know, baseball has its conventions and the award giving is no different there's that kind of just the way we've always done things kind of mentality. So, you know, pitchers have their own award. It's called the Cy Young Award. It's very prestigious. And it's not to say that pitchers have never won the MVP, but basically in recent decades, it's kind of an unspoken idea that the MVP is usually given to the best offensive player. I mean, this is not a hard and fast rule, but that's kind of the convention. So what do you do with a guy like Otani? I mean, the general feeling is is that if he has a good but maybe not elite offensive year tied to a good pitching performance, how can you not consider that the best player in the league simply because he's doing both for his team? I mean, last year, the baseball writers who vote on MVP, they didn't have much trouble giving it to Shohei because he had an amazing offensive season. But this year, you have a 6-7 Yankee breaking home run records by the name of Aaron Judge who also has the great character and personality that Shohei does. So the baseball world is asking itself, what exactly is an MVP? You know, Judge leads in most, if not all, offensive categories. He's on a historic 61, perhaps more, home run season, and he's a Yankee. So it's well known that baseball writers have what's called a East Coast bias because that's the media mecca and, you know, the historic center of the game. But... Over on the West Coast, you have perhaps the greatest living baseball player of all time doing elite-level things on the mound and elite-level things at the plate. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to give him the Cy Young Award for pitchers? If you give him the MVP, are you going to ignite a revolt among Yankees fans? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that sports drama is made of. And to be frank, we're all extremely privileged just to witness it. There's another kind of sports drama playing out around Otani. Here's Jason Koskri again. Tell us about uh, the Angels, Otani's team. They're not any good. (laughs) (laughs) They're really bad, and they're usually really bad. And it's really surprising because they have they have good players a lot of the time. They've got Mike Trout, who is, I guess, if Otani's a generational talent, it was Mike Trout was before him, and really, although they're kind of the same generation in a way. Anyway, Mike Trout's just regarded as one of the best players in history already. And he's basically been toiling away in obscurity for the Angels. Relative obscurity. Baseball people obviously know who Mike Trout is, but the wider public may not because he's only been in the playoffs once because the Angels just can't find a way to win. And they paired another generational talent and Shohei Otani with Mike Trout. 
and they still aren't winning. They got Anthony Rendon, another really good player who um, they signed for a lot of money and they haven't been winning. They signed Albert Pujols, who was recently in the news for hitting his 700th home run. Um, they had him after he was one of the best players in history with St. Louis Cardinals and they still didn't win. So they're kind of perpetually in the lower half of the standings. Knowing this, many have speculated that Otani would move on to a different team. But with his one-year, $30 million contract extension only a few weeks old, it's safe to say that he'll stick around L.A. for the time being. It allows the Angels to hold off deciding whether or not to keep Otani long-term. They can kick that can down the road for another year. So with all the hype, the accolades, and now the contract, Otani is in good hands. But what about the fate of baseball itself? Is it in good hands? Some say Otani's impact on the game is helping revive a sport that struggles on occasion to put fans in seats. I asked Jason what he thinks about the state of baseball and if it indeed needs saving. Baseball doesn't need saving. Baseball has lost ground in terms of popularity to American football, but so is everything else. You know, there's nothing that hasn't lost ground to football. The NBA is good play on the court and NBA is popular and then the NBA also has drama. And drama gets clicks, drama sells papers, drama makes people turn in to see what talking heads on television are talking about. And baseball doesn't really have that. Baseball is a very regional sport in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. People who like the Atlanta Braves are watching the Atlanta Braves and the AL East. They may not necessarily care about what the Angels are doing or right. what another American League team are doing. Whereas in the NBA, if you like the Atlanta Hawks, you may still watch the Los Angeles Lakers. You may still watch the... Oklahoma City Thunder. It's just more, I guess, basketball is just a little bit more connected. Football has the fantasy football aspect and the gambling aspect, which has really helped it shoot up the up the charts. And baseball is not as digestible as those other sports. And that's what they're trying to do by, you know, making the games take less time, less than three hours, because young people, it seems, aren't watching baseball games for three hours and baseball games that can stretch to however many hours because there's no time limit or no innings limit. So it doesn't need saving. It needs modernizing, which is one of the things Otani's doing because he's drawing more casual people to the game because he's such a unique figure that people are watching. Once again, special thanks to Jason Coscree and Dave Cortez for stepping up to the plate for my first episode as host of Deep Dive. For more of Jason's baseball coverage at the Japan Times, we'll include a link to his work in the show notes. Since recording this episode, the Yankees' Aaron Judge ended his season with 62 home runs, breaking the decades-old American League record for a single season, and Shohei Otani became the first player in the Major League's World Series era to qualify for the leaderboards as both a hitter and a pitcher. The MVPs will be announced in November. Also in the Japan Times this week, staff writer Gabriel Dominguez writes about the recent spate of missile tests out of North Korea and how they are leading to increased cooperation between Japan, South Korea, and the United States. Tim Hornyak tells the story of Japan's trains as the country marks the 150th anniversary of its railway system. Catherine Wortley talked to Japanese farmers about the so-called Wagyu Olympics, which are turning into something of a PR powerhouse for this country's premier beef products. 
But of course, the biggest story this week is that Japan is once again open to independent tourism, ending a border policy that essentially sealed the country off from travelers for two and a half years. Links to our coverage are in the show notes. For more stories like these, please consider a subscription to the Japan Times. This episode of Deep Dive was edited by Dave Cortez. Our theme song is by 4L, and our outro song is by Oscar Boyd. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. So until then, Patsukara-sama. <laughs>